You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. Welcome back to another episode of Partnernomics Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Brigman. And on today's show, we have Mr. Matt Gray with us. Matt, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Mark. How's it going today? Good, good, good. Hey, so Matt is the Vice President of Global Partnerships for Telium really cool company. If you have not heard about them, we are going to dig in and learn about uh, all the cool stuff that that they are up to and learn about uh, Matt and Matt's career. But uh, Matt, Matt, I'd love to just uh, jump in and let's talk about how in the world you made it into this role of partnering. You know, it's, it's always, I love to hear people's story. And it seems that very, very few of us start off in partnering. We typically start off in marketing, sales, finance, someplace, and then we weave our way into this partnering role and it either it either hooks us or it doesn't, but I'd love to hear what, uh, what path you took. Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. I'd say for me, you know, going back and in, in, as a kid, right, I never thought I would be in a partnerships role. That wasn't what I looked at as uh, where I thought I'd end up when I was this age, but I went through school uh, for architectural engineering you know, construction management, building processes, structures, electrical systems, and so on. Uh, one thing I really found uh, in college was that I really like to solve problems. And then the second thing that I really looked at was I like to work on things in a process. So those two things made it really interesting and fascinating for me to think about how can I, with my degree, go out and help do something to make the world a better place. And as a young kid getting out of college, I ended up uh, working first with a construction firm and decided, you know what, this is not what I want to do and switched into software. And over the years, I've had various roles, started in uh, software as a consultant, switched to be a sales engineer, then switched to be a sales engineering manager, moved into sales, then sales management, sales leadership, then got into OEM sales, which then got me into partnerships. And uh, it's you never know where you're going to go, but it's exciting to see how that has progressed into this role today. That's so cool, man. I've heard a lot of different, uh, I've heard a lot of different paths made, but you're the first to, to come from an architectural engineering, man. <laughs> <laughs> how cool. Um, so let's let's jump into Telium. Man, what a really cool, really interesting company. And uh, some of the great things that you guys are doing now, and it's you know, not necessarily, I mean, it's not one of those things that's been around forever. Uh, talk to us a little bit. What is what is Telium? How how old is the company? How long has it been around? And when was the the partnering team uh, formed? So Telium is basically a company that connects customer data, you know, across your web, mobile, offline, and IoT devices, so a brand can connect with their customer. So everything you do nowadays online has to be personalized. But there's no longer the ability to personalize at scale with someone intervening. So think about having a machine be able to help have a conversation with the person on the other end of the device. That's what we do. So Telium is what's called a customer data platform or a CDP. And it just allows you to connect anything to be able to have that conversation in real time with your client. And with things like data privacy, cookie consent, other types of things, it's really hard to manage because if Mark comes to my website and you said explicitly that you do not want to be marketed to, I can't talk to you. I can't store your cookie. I can't do that. But I have to figure out how to navigate that conversation. So Telium itself has been around 
Uh, we were founded uh, a little over a decade ago, and the folks that have been uh, really key to our executive team have built out a few different companies that have become, you know, different parts of Adobe and different parts of other MarTech uh, platforms. So they're very familiar with how we got here and where they want to go is they want to be able to take this platform and become the standard globally for enterprises and commercial businesses to be able to have a better conversation with their customer in real time. So what, what is the Telium product or what's kind of the, the go-to-market? How, how do your customers use Telium? Is it one of those kind of Intel inside sort of things or is it a direct relationship? So when you think about it, it's a direct relationship. And what we look to do is we look at how do you implement that customer data platform? Well, what we find is it is best to look at the solution you're trying to achieve for your client before you start going down that route. So first off, am I trying to deal with data collection and privacy, right? That's a big, big problem a lot of companies are facing today. Uh, am I trying to deal with predictive insights and customer analytics so I can serve up what is needed to someone while they're on my site? I may wanna do a simple single view of the customer, which is not simple, but when you think about that, those are really three big, big uh, challenges for any company that has an online brand or presence. You also have loyalty and retention, growth and acquisition, uh, also the customer experience and personalization. Those are the things first that we look at to see is a company trying to solve that problem to get to their clients to grow their business. And what we often find is if someone's gonna do that, they need to manage several components of that. So Telium has many products that can fit in to support that. We have a tag management piece, we have an event stream, we have an audience stream, and all of these things collect the data so that you can navigate through a sea of information to determine what someone's doing and make better decisions. Activate your Adobe system, activate your Salesforce system, do something in real time, email, so on and so forth. So we sit in the middle is this neutral data orchestration layer. Now, a lot of those things I may have thrown out may be confusing for people on the podcast, right? So the good thing is, is it's complicated. And the bad thing is, is it's complicated. So we have to rely on a massive ecosystem of partners, partners that we integrate with from a technology perspective, partners that do our uh, implementations from a system integrator level and partners that are helping do digital marketing transformation for our clients. Those are called agencies. So we have to sit in the middle of all of them and be able to communicate the value of the platform, how it can help accelerate the outcomes for the clients and how it can really drive the better experience for the end consumer. Well, you talked so much uh, about you know, data, data privacy has been interesting. I kind of cut my teeth in partnering at Sprint, right? Working for a Fortune 100 and so many of these platforms, whether it's, you know, GPS uh, for, for location or just really kind of sc scraping information off, just trying to build profiles on customers to try to give them more relevant content, right? It's all about being relevant for them. And uh, man, it's, it's been interesting to watch over the last couple of decades how, privacy and user data has, is continuing to unfold. And then we see, uh, you know, kind of the Googles, the Microsofts, different uh, big platforms in the world, how they're kind of changing the rules with cookies. We see the European and as well as here in the U.S. giving users uh, more ability to control what data is shared with platforms and not. Uh, how has your guys' world changed over the last, let's say, five years 
and your ability to to extract information like say cookies for example so there's a lot of interesting things that are going on right now and i don't know how familiar you are with the different types of data privacy but every country's got some sort of different legislation that's making it more and more in favor of the consumer having privacy okay so that's a big thing that we look at that's very very interesting so there's a, a big announcement that came out from google where they're going to stop with third-party cookies so the cookie loss the cookie crumbling you'll hear that all over and what that really means mark is that as we see over the past five years consumers of the technology are getting fed up that there's so much tracking going on that it almost feels like you have someone in the room. And, and how many of the people on this podcast have said, I feel like my Alexa or I feel like my Siri is really listening in on me all the time? Only every person. <laughs> right. So, so that's an area where what we see is, is that the market is expanding. It's kind of in a creepy way getting to a point where when you open up your browser, there's an ad for exactly what you were thinking about there. Well, when you look at behavioral analysis and you look at your click stream you leave behind, uh, you leave a lot of data fragments. So a lot of that's already there. It's not uh, as exciting as you would think, but stitching it all together is the hard part. So over the past five years, we've seen the proliferation of devices and the fact that you may be on your mobile phone in the store looking at a product. And when you come home, you get on your laptop and it's not really complicated to stitch together your browser on your phone with your laptop. And that allows the conversation to flow naturally between devices. Not many people are aware of that, but that stuff is going on uh, in the background with these types of capabilities. And when you then take into consideration, if I have a more meaningful connection to my client, I see that I have a much higher conversion rate because you feel like they get me. But if you feel like they're watching me, you don't like it. So one of the big shifts we've seen in the past six to 12 months is that a lot of times when you think about the, the challenge people have is that the people who benefit from understanding this data need to actually learn the data. And there's a lot of stuff that's happening within the data privacy because the data has to be in the middle of the conversation. That's what the consumer is doing. And many people put their department in the middle of the conversation. But what we're seeing is data is fragmented. There's a big challenge associated with it. And with privacy and orchestration, people are doing what's called building a first party data strategy so that they can collect the data and put it together. Now, with all those types of things in there, this isn't easy. And so many of the clients that are trying to do this, whether it's a global brand or it's a small, um, you know, single proprietary ownership type of business, this is a really challenging problem. And so this type of capability is an enabler to solve it. But without partners and without an ecosystem, it's really hard to help a client navigate through all of this and do it properly. So Matt, talk to us a little bit about your, your team, your role, how long you've been with the company, and then you know, kind of the, the, the transformation to the extent that, that your company is, and your team is adjusting to a, a vision mission that you guys are after. Yeah, so basically a little bit about myself and, and the team. I've been a part of Telium for almost a year. Uh, the team I have is, a, is about 30 people and they're scattered around uh, the world. So we have folks in different uh, countries. We have folks that are in different kind of roles, but we are aligned that eight out of 10 deals that come through with new clients and with existing clients rely on partners. 
So it's a very interesting thing because we have to be engaged. And, and Telium itself is about 600 or so employees. So it's a, a good sized company growing fast. And we have many different things uh, running with us. One was we did a Series G back in January. We're valued in a unicorn status and we're really trying to have that breakout year for, our, for the company to continue to show we're accelerating growth. One of the big ways we're doing that is through partners. So when we look at the partners themselves and we look at the program, uh, whenever I came on board, we had a lot of basic assets in place and we had a lot of things that were there, but we really didn't have was uh, a lot of focus. And so that's an area where a lot of companies that are going from the 100 million in revenue in ARR growing to 500 million have to start to implement change. And so some of the things we looked at was, what is it that we're doing? Do we have executive buy-in? Do we have a clear strategy? What is needed to be able to hit the mark and then exceed the goals? What we started with was looking at, we have a pretty large community, but we don't communicate to them. We have a pretty large ecosystem and we don't really communicate well to them. So we looked at the challenge of, well, what do we need to do? First thing we had to do is really just provide focus to the partners we had, figure out which ones we are spending time with that were yielding the right outcome and which ones we were spending time with that really weren't providing benefit to the client, right? Because we can all spend time with a lot of people, but at the end of the day, you're measured on a couple of goals and uh, storytelling is not one of them. And so that's a big area where we looked at, got to nurture the right people. And we've also got to have a message that connects with them to drive differentiation and get to a solution. And so those were two big, big tenants that we started with. And, and looking at that and trying to figure out where do we need to go? Well, we need to sustain and grow revenue. We have a top of funnel component and we have a deal acceleration and alignment flow. And, and so I think for most folks on this podcast, if you look at what CEOs typically wanna see and CROs wanna see, they wanna see sourced revenue by partners. Most of them are discouraged by influence. So how do you make influence relevant? How do you show sourcing as value? And those are things that we looked at to say, okay, well, we've got to build better systems and we got to build better processes to allow us to scale. So over the past 10 months, we've really been redesigning everything from the ground up. Our team, team roles, team structure. We have uh, hired about 18 new people on the team and really ch helped change the way in which we are aligned to our go-to-market team. We also changed the way that we are aligned to our partners and we've really been driving a different outcome as a result. So Matt, I think you hit on this a little bit earlier, but just to kind of clarify the picture, what are the different types of partnerships that, that your team manages or you know, that, that you guys manage? I mean, obviously I'm definitely hearing some, some channel side on the sales, but uh, I would imagine you guys probably also have uh, folks that are more on the technology side or integration side of working mm -hmm. with those uh, different partnerships as well. What are the different programs, the partnering programs that you guys have? So we've we've launched a program uh, this past month that's called the Telium Partner Network. And so what we look at is the types of partners for us break into three classifications. Classification one is a technology partner. They are the ones that we have an integration to or from, right? So that's kind of the most basic level of a partnership where we're going to build a connector, connect with an API, do something to move data between our systems. Technical partners need specific things. One is they have to have a functional mechanism to move data. 
but we also have to have customers asking for the integration and seeing value from it for us to be able to justify the investment. So today we maintain partnerships and technology connectors with about 1300 different companies. So it's a very broad spectrum of tech partners. So that's kind of slice one. Slice two would be agency partners. They're ones that are going to a CMO and saying, we'll help your brand reach more consumers. We'll do things to modernize and make you more digital first and be able to do things in a more innovative way. They need to know how we can accelerate the outcome for the marketing team. So that's what's my return on ad spend? What's my conversion rate change? How do I see my efficiency increases by communicating with a client to have them convert in a very specific way on my business outcome? Uh, and the third type that we have are really your classic system integrators. And so that's going to be a very large, you know, partnership, like a, like an Accenture, or it could be a, a very small company. That's just four or five people just doing this type of stuff in the background to help someone time and materials wise. But what we see is they're measured on how do I connect the systems? How do I produce a good quality sense of, um, you know, the data as a first party core? And then how do I use that to activate different things in my uh, tech stack. And so they all need different things um, to be able to be successful. And we find enablement is critical. So we put together a way to look at what are kind of blocks and bricks for enablement. Blocks being, you know, what are the big three things I want to be able to talk to those partners about? Well, the first is about the product. The second could be about a vertical. The third could be about a solution. And then the bricks that sit inside it are all the pieces that can help someone assemble their own path to an implementation fluency or just resale competency. How do we wanna get there is, is really something we wanna make very um, fungible so that they can work through and build and compose their own path. And then we can help certify on the back end that tech partner, agency partner, or system integrator have what they need to be successful. Yeah, man, you said so, so many awesome things there, including kind of teeing this up as an ecosystem. I mean, you guys, you know, obviously you're in the, in the middle of this uh, big ecosystem piece and the, the traditional paths of, of having a, a channel now have all of these different tentacles that spur off of that, where we have, you know, technology uh, partners that we, you know, that we're connecting with, SIs in your case. Then also even influencers, you know, we're seeing a, a growth of even an influencer channel mm -hmm. of being able to connect with different influencers that just help, you know, fill the front end of the funnel. But to your point, super challenging to put attribution to that. Love mm -hmm. to just have you kind of chat about that a little bit of how you guys, how you guys manage that today, what it means and how you see it evolving to, to be able to quantify uh, those those investments and those resources. Yeah, I mean, I think the big big thing when we look at looking at the resources overall, first thing we had to do is just get an agreement with our executive leadership on where we plan to take the business and what we wanted to do. Right. So having a strategy, having just alignment on what we're here to do is really really critical. So we started there, and with that, then we've started to cascade a lot of our actions off of what's important to the executives in the C-suite. What does our CFO want to hear about the business? And so if you think about it from, a, from an operational standpoint, how efficient is the team? 
what are my bookings versus my cost? Well, that's a very different type of conversation than if I'm dealing with a CRO looking at what's my sourced revenue and what is my um, you know, influence revenue. And so you look at the classification of what the metrics are that are relevant, how we're tracking them, and then within each of the teams, how we're reporting against them. And so, for example, source versus influence is always a very uh, uh, heated topic within every company I've been a part of. And when you look at sourced, being able to attribute a sourced opportunity with a specific partner requires discipline and a process in place to be able to have a partner register an opportunity, to work with us to identify an opportunity. Um, whereas with influence, influence is largely subjective. And so this is an area where we've had to put in place processes to get alignment with the sales leadership, not the AE, with the sales manager for the AE to endorse that a partner is influencing. And influence has to be measurable in a way that is obtaining access to people that we would not have access to otherwise, helping us understand the deal process so that we know how to navigate the procurement side. Also, it can be other ways to just be partnering with us and recommending us um, and doing co-selling. Those are things we find that are really critical. And so for our biggest accounts, I'm working on driving a program where we have five partners that are validated in our biggest deals as being pro to support our cause. And that's taking a lot of work because it's reporting against it, it's measuring it, but really getting down to, do we have that? Because influence is just so critical to get, but influence has to be meaningful, not just, oh, I know that the team from this company are there and we connected. So, yeah. What's that? So you mentioned, you know, strategy several different times and man, that's so critical is just having a clear and aligned strategy, right? From the top mm -hmm. down of what the heck we're doing. Cause it's obviously a significant investment. You have a good sized team, 30 people, um, you know, huge opportunities that, that you guys have. Um, from a strategy, do you, from a strategy perspective, do you guys have a, a particular bogey that you're trying to hit? Or a lot of the clients that we work with are, are primarily direct sales driven, but mm -hmm. then they see tons of value in having an indirect lane for sales and mm -hmm. they're specifically shifting from direct to indirect. Um, is, talk to us a little bit about those two pieces and how that fits into the strategy. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest one, uh, Mark, is if you think about you know, just first, what are the KPIs we're trying to hit? Biggest ones, we're in a high growth SaaS company. So ARR, what's the ARR attributed to the team? That's metric number one. Metric number two is the partner rate of sourcing and attach. And so if we've got eight out of 10 deals coming in with partners and we need to maintain that or better as a percentage of our revenue. So that's, that's kind of KPI number two. Then the third KPI that we have is the top of funnel accepted leads. We were looking at pipeline, but pipeline generation off of, uh, you know, sales as they're called is really tough because you look at when a partner registers a deal, the AE accepts the deal. That's a process function. That's easy to measure, but looking at the amount that's subjective to the rep. And a lot of times they don't know what they're looking towards as the final amount. So one of the things we found is we got that third bogey, which is uh, 
you know, really what we're trying to hit. But the, the overall goal with those three metrics is every initiative that's a part of our strategy has to tie back to those metrics. Otherwise, we just don't have time for it. We, we need to be very you know, focused on our, our key goals. And the key goals that we're trying to work on are in support of the growth of the business. And so as a high growth software SaaS company, we, if you look at the, the Deloitte value map, the Deloitte fair shareholder value map is a widely published uh, document that is incredible because that's the easiest way to look at what external and what internal things can I do to increase shareholder value and drive revenue growth. And externally, I can acquire new customers. Where does the channel fit in? We can increase the focus on high value customers with partners. We can target new geographies or new areas where we just don't have the reach. And we can increase the time and the footprint spent selling by having more people out there, resellers or distributors, or just close partners talking about our product when we may not be present. That's one big area. And then we look at growth and retention of existing customers we can dramatically increase our ability to focus on high value clients and work on retention with our partner ecosystem. And so those are things that we see are, are directly tied to that, that map as external factors. And with internal factors, what I see is we can greatly improve customer interaction efficiency by focusing on high value customers and segments with high value partners. And that's been a big area where you build a solution with a global system integrator you can get a lot more conversation started about a very big picture uh, type of solution. We can also see that the lower cost sales channels, right? Some of the partners, some of the different things that are there can also help drive uh, ways in which we can get into markets we wouldn't necessarily support. Um, and those are things that are on us internally that we can build out process-wise. And we can also really improve our own ability to execute by just understanding how does our partner organization and how does our sales organization work together? And what can we do to make it more efficient so that people know how to not deal with channel conflict, but more deal with customer outcomes? So those are some of the things we've seen with those key metrics have really helped us design a program that's really helping us um, scale. Matt, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about subscription-based uh, companies as opposed to you know, more of kind of a, a one and done where you're constantly selling and the mm -hmm. differences between those and, and with the subscription, right? It's uh, customer acquisition, looking at ARPU, the average revenue per user or monthly or however the subscriptions are set up. Retention, you'd, you'd mentioned that, you know, the, the tenure of your clients, the mm -hmm. massive importance of that, customer lifetime value. There's just some different metrics that play into the equation with subscription-based models. Talk to us a little bit about the financials of that and just really how we build business cases and how we think about valuation and ROI from a subscription perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because if you think about every one of these uh, companies that we're involved with, it is a SaaS business. Many are chasing down some sort of high growth target. Nobody wants to be a part of a low growth SaaS company, right? You want to be able to figure out how do we do things uh, faster? How do we do them more efficiently? And so whenever I think about the, the metrics of SaaS, I think about the, the critical things which are going to be what's my net expansion rate? And as a company, you take your net new ARR and you subtract out your churn and you get to that net expansion rate. 
And when you look at why that's important is that supports a land and expand story that supports the way in which you're growing to new logo acquisition, whatever those things are, it's, it's very relevant that you track yourself against what's my, what's my TAM, right? What's my total addressable market? Where are we positioned in the segment we're selling? How fast is that segment growing? And then are we growing faster than the segment or are we growing on pace with the segment, right? Because you want to grow bigger. So within the partner context to be able to say, okay, if my ecosystem can support helping us achieve the growth that's exceeding the industry, then that's a, a positive. If it's attributed to larger deals that move faster with more products, then that's great for the front end of the sales process. So how do you measure that? Well, you measure it by my deal registrations. I then measure it by my ages through conversions or velocity to look at what my conversion rates are. Then when I actually get to a revenue event, I want to measure what the ARR is by partner, overall with the partnerships, and then put that against my company. Are we bringing in bigger deals faster? Are we bringing in bigger deals slower? Are we bringing in smaller deals? You know, you get where I'm going. And then to start to look at the event of the sale happening, then when it comes time for the renewal, which is only 12 short months from the sale, what's the renewal look like? Do we have a tendency with the partner to sell one product that washes out and they don't renew? Or do we see that the product sells one product, then expands to two or three products in the first year and benefits the whole organization that they're selling to by that organization realizing the value, seeing an attributable ROI and payback to the spend on this? And, and I think that's a big area where we, we are really working to up-level our vernacular and work to be able to talk to the partner and talk with the um, just the overall ecosystem in, in maybe a better and more supportive way as a business partner, as opposed to a solution vendor. Yeah, I'd like for you to, to offer up some advice. So let's say somebody is uh, moving into director VP role, right? They're gonna be leading a team, uh, leading a, a channel partnership team, let's say, in the first year, what are they most likely to identify as, let's call it the low-hanging fruit? What's, what's kind of the one or two areas they should look at where they could probably make the most impact uh, on, on the proficiency of their program? I mean, I think the biggest thing, if you just start with looking at what are you measuring, right? I mean, that's, that's the first thing. And then do you have a strategy? That's, that's some areas where I've seen a lot of the partnership organizations I've either been a part of or uh, you know, worked with, with partner companies, they often will be something if you back channel to say the CRO or the head of the business, um, how do you guys view them? What's the perception of the team? That's a good starting point to kind of figure out like what, what do they need? You've got the internal audience you have to sell to, which is your forward facing go-to-market teams that team has to be very supportive that partners are helping make your life easier and sell to the right clients. Um, so having a strategy, having internal buy-in, and then externally having a way to move partners through their own funnel, you know, and, and spend time to efficiently recruit partners, to activate the partners and to scale those partners is, is a big critical part. So I look at those sort of three facets, right? To start to track across those, 
then that can be a good place to start to figure out which of these do you have and you're measuring or which of these do you not have, which you need to put in place. And then how do you start to build the core around that? And that, that's been an area where when I look at starting that process, a lot of times it's the um, executives will say, well, we don't have an indirect motion. Let's figure out the way to do it. Well, if they understand the amount of funding it takes, the amount of time it takes and where the money goes, then they'll see that this is a much more complicated problem than just, I need someone that can manage a relationship with a global system integrator. It's gotta be, how do we find um, that the global system integrator sees us as a partner? Well, that's gonna become uh, relevant if they can track attributable services revenue to the partnership. So if you haven't, that type of basic, you know, calibration with the partner is very hard to say, I'm gonna go form a relationship with an Accenture or a Deloitte if they don't even know who you are. So I think the aspirations, the investment, and the ability to really look at what's, um, what's going to be the measurement of success or a good starting point to be able to start from. Yeah, great insights. Um, one of the things that we inevitably see with, with our clients is on the recruiting side. It seems, especially on the channel side, where it's, let's go find the biggest net we can get. Let's cast it out there and whoever will sign a partnering deal with us, a referral, whatever, whoever will become a partner with us, we're going to, we're going to pull them into the fold and just spray and pray, hope that they end up bringing some value. And we all know the vast majority of the time that does not happen. Love to know if, is, is there any particular, uh, you know, litmus test, different, uh, different processes, procedures that you guys have in place, or really just even a philosophy Whenever it comes to recruitment to try to, you know, we've all heard the Pareto principle, 80-20. Right. We try to get to is let's only do deals with the 20% that's going to bring mm -hmm. value, but a lot easier said than done. Love to just kind of hear your philosophy or maybe some processes that you guys use to, to try to make sure you hit the center of the target. I mean, I think one of the big things we do is we try to build a plan and we start the plan with a couple of basic elements. One is, um, like a joint value proposition where we look at the partnership and we have a, a, an IPP, which is an ideal partner profile. So we look at first, is the partner set up to be a successful partner just by their characteristics, who they sell to, what they're doing and, and where they are in the market. That's kind of the starting point to evaluate, am I spending my time in a place that could potentially yield a good result? That's an area where I found filters the most noise out of the system because a lot of the, um, the the field of dreams types of partners where you get sold on, man, these guys are going to build it. They're going to be the best ever. Well, that's great. I love that they have the aspiration. Do I have executive alignment? Do I have a commitment? Do we have a engagement plan with the partner? And do we have an executive sponsor that will hold the team accountable for the engagement plan? Those are usually areas where we start and we weed out a lot of partners right there. Then once we do have that engagement, we start with that joint value proposition to say, what is the market opportunity? What is unique? What are our customers asking for that we can do better together? This is super relevant in the tech partners because you really can determine which ones are good tech partners to have, but you may not be able to do much in the field with them. And they can be very, very draining on your team to do account mapping, to do, let's get connected on this. Because if the client's really not bought in on it, it's not gonna provide much value. It's just, I see you're in the account, you see we're in the account, but there's nothing really we can do together. So with a joint value prop, that really helps us define what is unique 
How do we boil and distill it down into to a very simple portable message? And then we take that into a field launch plan to look at what are 20 or 30 accounts where we can prove out the theory. It doesn't take long. We're talking about 30, 60 days and you can determine if you've got something. With the context of building that out, well, then you start to build out a, a, an engagement plan that has a couple of things with an executive sponsor. And if you can prove out you've got some stickiness, then let's go bigger and let's go after the target market. Well, then we can start to measure it. So the big things we start to measure are the SAL input by the partner. We also look at the uh, pipeline that's under you know, revenue that's, that's in process. And then we start to look at that closed one revenue. And so from those different tranches, we can then start to see, okay, we've established this, we're six months in, we've seen three or four deals come in, and the pipeline now is getting up to about 80 or 90 deals. That's a very healthy partner that's, that's growing. Whereas we built out the plan, we're six months into it, we still can't get the first two or three customers through. There's a, there's a challenge. What do we need to do to revisit it? So that's an area where we are looking at building a more efficient plan. And some people will put in place like a racy uh, type of diagram to be able to figure out how do we map this out. But I mean, I think one thing we do is we have to sell the engagement model of the partnership as, um, as, as clearly and transparently to our partners as possible. And so for an agency or a system integrator, they're putting bodies onto sites with clients to bill. And so for them, if we look at how they perform building a partnership, they often look at it like a program or a project. And so that's an area where I've worked with a lot of the executive sponsors to say, okay, let's look at building an objective risk return analysis on the business asset class, which is a whole different conversation than I want to be a partner. It's how much money can you make off of this partnership and how fast can it produce results in your clients? And so when we look at doing due diligence, let's look at stakeholder engagement, let's do a basic breakdown structure of who's going to do what, and let's agree on what we want as output. And for the most part, what we want as output is we want to be able to show that we have a joint go-to-market solution that we can both stand behind that drives a client outcome. Yeah. And so I see those things have really shaped our ability to have a much more organized conversation. And then to be able to push back, it gives us a great way to push back to the partner and say, I have a limited number of assets. I don't have the ability to do this right now because I don't have the commitment um, in, a, in a polite and professional way. But to say, once we get through these things, then I'm happy to dedicate as much time and resources to it. And so that's been a big area where we've been able to really keep partners warm that, that we need to, but also at the same time, not over-invest where we aren't getting something um, that we need out of them. Yeah, I love those insights. Couldn't agree more. It's, I think, something that we need to do a lot better as partnering professionals is really understand what are our partner's goals? How do they define success? Because that has to be a part of your equation. If you have a partnership that only works for one side, it doesn't work for either side, right? right. <laughs> we, we learned that. And that's and then we've become part of the 80% at best, um, you know, that, that doesn't work out. So uh, big, big problems and big waste there. Matt, uh, one last question before we let you go, man. I'm going to want to ask, if, if you could provide some, some insights, recommendations, some wisdom to the 21, 22-year-old Matt as he was coming out of architectural engineering school, what kind of wisdom would you pass on to him? 
I, I mean, I think looking back uh, in time, if I could stop in a time machine and see myself, you know, I think one of the big things is, is that a lot of the things in a career take time. They take experience and they really take leading by example. I think that's been probably the biggest area I would say to look at someone that is just beginning their career. And a lot of people aspire to, to be able to run a business, grow a business, but you've got to understand a lot of the fundamentals, which comes and it's very hard. It's hard knocks. And I think, you know, the, the, one of the best quotes was, um, I don't know, there's an Aristotle quote that was basically learning is not child's play. We, we cannot learn without pain. That's a great thing to think about is that to learn how to build these types of businesses, you have to learn from the failures because a lot of the successes you're going to have, we, we really miss what happened to make it successful. You, you're just in the right place at the right time is what a lot of people will say, but learning from the ones that don't work. We invested a lot of time here. Nothing came from it. Those are the ones where you can really do introspection on what did you give up? How did you do it? And then where did it go wrong? And so I think for me, looking at somebody that's starting in this, it's really ask tough questions, you know, like look at what the teams are doing together. And if you're in a partnership role, how can you clearly show credentials that the partnership is adding value? That's one of the big areas I'd look at because a lot of the folks that I've worked with that are early in their career, they uh, don't have a whole lot of good, credible points that they can hitch to. They've got a lot of aspirational or market comparables. We grew this relationship to do this, or we did this amount of pipe gin, but how did it make an impact for your business? That's a big area I would say to look at. Because I think at the end of the day, having sales experience, <clears throat> excuse me, having sales experience, having sales engineering experience, having consulting experience, these are all ways to do revenue capture. And so this is just another way to capture revenue for a company. So my, my biggest advice is like, when you're really evaluating it, let's make it meaningful for the business. And then that, that's something that can really help you gauge. If you look at the JVP, if you look at the business plan, if you look at the commitment, you can put all the pieces together and say, I have something here that's worth fighting for. And that's probably the best thing to see is the results from that make a massive difference to the outcome of the company. Yeah, great insights, man. Great insights. Matt, great spending time with you, man. We're going to really enjoy, I'm going to enjoy watching what you guys do, what the team does there at TLM. You guys are up to some great things. It's growing like wildfire. So it's going to be awesome to, to watch you continue to push the team forward out there. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate your time today and look forward to hearing from anybody on the podcast. If there's anything I can do, please, you know, connect with me, LinkedIn. Happy to uh, help out in any way I can. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Thank you. Partnernomics podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics podcast, visit partnernomics.com.